Today, we're going to go back to the warning, that serious warning that I gave you last Sunday. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why, because the big guy in the red suit, no, not Barry Smith, uh, the big guy in the red suit is coming to town, right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. I said, this is kind of disturbing. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So here's the thought we looked at last week. So be good, for goodness sake, but we don't know how to do that, right? We have problems with that. And, and the, actually in this little series we're doing just for a couple of Sundays, the main question is this, how? How can I be good? I'm not good, you know? You may think I'm good, you see the guy that stands up here under the light on Sunday mornings, you know, you may think I'm good, but I know I'm not good. Last week, here's what we talked about. We talked about what Jesus said in uh, recorded for us in Mark's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 18. Jesus said, no one is good. No one except God alone. There is no, or, is no one who's good. Everybody's bad. Uh, if perfection is the standard, right? Now we lower the standard and we say, that's a good guy. That's a good person. That's the, the, they're good people, that, that kind of stuff. But Jesus makes this clear. And again, I can't, I'm not going to preach the sermon again, but I want to bring the thought back. No one can do enough to be good enough on his own, but God will make it possible. Nobody, none of us can do enough good stuff on our own to be good enough for God. But God makes it possible. Jesus came to make it possible. That's what the season is all about. Salvation is by grace through faith. The gift of eternal life only comes through Jesus. I could, you know, we read a lot of verses last week. We talked about a lot of things, but let's just go back to the classic verse. You know, the best known verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That means God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus gives you the gift of eternal life and means that you are freed from the ultimate penalty of not being good enough. And that ultimate penalty is something the Bible calls hell. So we said, well, I've done that. You know, I believed in Jesus, but I still don't get it right. You know, I, I've trusted in Jesus, but I keep falling off the cliff. Well, welcome to the club. So does everybody else. Nobody gets it right all the time. Even, you know, the Apostle Paul, whose letters account for more than, about half the, the New Testament, even he couldn't get it right all the time. I love some of the things he had to say in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. He says this, I do not understand what I do. I can't understand. Hey, this, we're talking about a guy that wrote a lot of the Bible, right? I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do it. I do not do it. But what I hate, I do. You ever get in that situation? where you really want to do the right thing, you find yourself doing the wrong thing? How can I be good, you know? So we go back to the verse from Paul's writing. We're going to be looking a lot at what Paul wrote in, uh, in a letter to the Roman church. 
uh, and looking at chapter 6, a lot of his letter. But we're going to go back to this verse from Paul's writing that we closed with last Sunday, Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, where the apostle said this to a church, and we, it applies to us as well. For sin, for you Christians, for you believers in Christ, for sin shall no longer be your master. Sin's not going to be able to lord it over and have its way with you anymore. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Being saved, becoming a Christian, believing in Jesus, following Jesus, receiving the gift of eternal life does not guarantee that we're going to live above sin, that we're never going to do another bad thing in all of our lives. But here's what it does. It gives us the capacity to defeat the sins in our lives. So the question for today is this, how do I defeat sin in my everyday life? How do I do good in my day-to-day life? I want to, but I keep messing up. I want to. Uh, I keep saying things I shouldn't say. I keep acting ways I shouldn't act. I want to, but how do I defeat sin in my everyday life? To answer that question, we're going to look at some of the things that the Apostle Paul said in chapter 6 of this letter uh, that in the New Testament is called the book of Romans. Now, in chapter 5, uh, Paul had closed with a statement that no matter how bad people became, no matter what people do, the grace of God is always bigger. It just grows. The grace of God is always bigger than any bad thing. And once you trust Christ as your Savior, uh, you are destined to go to heaven. You are destined to spend your eternity with him. The grace of God just, just increases and increases. And, and, and people thought, what? What? The grace of God just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and evidently Paul starts the next chapter with a, a common criticism, or maybe just a thought that people had, but here it is. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? This, about this grace of God that just gets bigger and bigger and covers every sin, everything that we do. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, then maybe we should just do more and more bad stuff, and that way we get more and more of the grace of God. It seems that they were struggling with this thought, which is pretty hard to understand sometimes, how that God just, God's grace just keeps on covering us and keeps on covering us. Uh, people today uh, say things like, well, if I believe that, I just sin all I wanted. <clears throat> and, and people in that day were saying, well, if I keep on sinning after I'm saved or after I'm born into God's family, won't that interfere with God's grace and keep me out of heaven? But what should we say to that? Should we go on sinning so that we can have more and more grace in our lives? Well, then you get to sin and you get a lot of grace too, right? Well, here was Paul's answer. Verse 2, Romans 6, 2, by no means. Of course not. King James Version says, God forbid. Of course not. By no means. Because we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we just keep doing the same old stuff over and over again? Then he goes on to talk about how that believers are not only delivered in Christ from the penalty of sin, or that's a word called justified or justification, but also from the power of sin in their lives or sanctified uh, as well. And by the way, let me just say that on Sunday mornings, I make it a point to use as few theological terms as, uh, as I can. Sometimes it's difficult not to throw in a little something. 
And as we're reading some of Paul's writings here in chapter six and seven of this letter, uh, if you have a little trouble understanding it, don't feel like the Lone Ranger. The Apostle Peter, you know, wrote a couple letters that are included in the New Testament called First Peter and Second Peter. And in Second Peter, the Apostle Peter said about Paul's letters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. So if you have a little trouble understanding it, even Peter said, Paul said some stuff that's kind of hard to understand. So as we consider how do I defeat sin in my life, we're going to start with where, where Paul started, with it, which is with this. Number one, how do I defeat sin in my everyday life? I must understand the meaning of salvation. What does it mean to be saved, born again, to be a member of God's family, to have the gift of eternal life? Now, I talked about that at length last Sunday, so I'm not going to say all the same things again, but I said then that becoming a Christian <clears throat> isn't a matter of turning over a new leaf. It's not a matter of uh, it's a matter of beginning a new life. And it's not just that we think differently, though, though we do. And it's not just that we act differently, though we will. It's that we are different. After we trust Christ as our Savior, we are different. Our souls, which were empty and lifeless, have been made alive through the power of Jesus Christ. Now, to illustrate this fact, this fact that Christians are not under the power of sin, the Apostle Paul chooses the picture of baptism, where the Christian is buried completely immersed in water to symbolize the death and burial of his old way of life. And he brings that up in the fourth verse of Romans chapter six. We therefore were buried with him, buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Just stick with me a couple minutes on a few of these verses, if you will. The word translated, we therefore were buried with him, indicates that we weren't buried in order to get to him, but we were buried together with him. And by the way, it's talking about a burial. You bury something that's dead, right? You don't bury something that's alive. We were buried, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. That's not to get inside of death, but the 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 uh, preposition there means in identification or with reference to death. So we were, when we were baptized, we went under with Christ. We went under identifying ourselves with Christ. We went under identifying ourselves with Christ. That just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The word may indicates the fact that Christians have the potential to live a godly life. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God put something new on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit took up residence in you. He made you a new person, and now you have the ability to live for him. You have the capacity for holiness, if we want to throw in another theological term. Something supernatural happened when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. You are transferred from the spiritual darkness into spiritual light. You are transferred from spiritual death into spiritual life. And now you have the potential to live a godly life. You didn't have that potential before. Now that doesn't mean you are going to live a godly life, but you have the ability to do that if you want to. You have the potential to do that. 
Uh, in another letter that Paul wrote that's included in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, he put it like this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So, because of God's gift of salvation, we have potential. We have power over, we don't have to do that old stuff that we did before. Before we knew Jesus, we were dead in sin, but now we are dead to sin. As we continue in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, the Apostle Paul wrote this. For we know, here's what we know. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We know that. We're, we're not slaves to sin. We think, I, I just, that's just who I am. That's just what I do. That I, I just can't get over it. No. No, that's, that's not what the truth is. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I don't feel that way. <laughs> By the way, if you have trouble understanding this, remember what Peter said. Uh, some of what Paul says is hard to understand, but here's what you can't understand. You know, you don't have to be a Christian very long. You don't have to have believed in Christ very long ago to realize that, that sin is alive and well in you and in your actions. And we read that verse from Paul. Here's something else that Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, verse 19, for I, I do not do the good I want to do. Hey, we're talking about Paul here. He's a pretty big name, right, in the Bible. But even the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Ever feel that way? Then you can say with the apostle, continuing verse 21, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Kind of like playing golf, Tom. You know, I want to do good. It's just a game. But sometimes I feel like taking that club and throwing it as far as I can down the fairway. But I've never done that in front of Tom. Just drop it on the ground occasionally, you know. Although I want to do good, evil is just right there with me all the time. Verse 22. For in my inner being, on the inside, I delight in the God's law. I want to do the right thing. But, verse 23, I see another law at work in me. There's something else going on in here besides good. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. That, there's a battle. There's this churning. It's going on. I want to do the right thing. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. <clears throat> and here's what Paul says about himself, verse 24. What a wretched man I am. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that way a lot of times. What a wretched man I am. <clears throat> Who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? As long as I'm in this, this body, it's going to die one day. We're all going to die. And, and the body that I have, it's not, <clears throat> it's not a, a, as young as it once was. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death, this, thing, this war that keeps going on within me? The ultimate answer to that question is found in the next verse, Romans 7, 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's the ultimate. Ultimately, I'm going to be with Jesus, and I'll be perfect, but I'm not yet. So until that ultimate victory, Paul has some suggestions back in chapter 6 of his letter, verse 8. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. 
Now, if we died with Christ, and we did, by the way, we died with Christ when we believed in Jesus, and we publicly said that when we were baptized, immersed in water. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. So now this is talking about Jesus. We died with him. We know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Death is not his master. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was victorious over hell and death and the grave and all that stuff. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died for our sins once for all time. We are saved from our sins once for all time. So let, verse 11, in the same way, just like Christ raised from the dead and sin is no longer his master, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. In the same way that Jesus died once and is alive forever, count yourselves dead to sin and alive forever with him. And in this life, he is our strength to do the right thing. But how? How am I supposed to consider or count myself dead when I don't feel dead and I don't act dead? Well, when Paul said that, when he said count yourselves dead to sin, it's not some kind of psychological trip, not some kind of a spiritual lightning bolt that whacks you and zaps you and you just all over the place and all of a sudden you're great. He's teaching a principle upon which we can build a life of living for him, doing the right thing. I want you to take, him, take this into consideration. Your spiritual standing that is alive in Christ isn't based on your feelings. It's based on Jesus. Your faith as a Christian is not based on feelings or a hunch. It's based on fact. And here are the facts. Number one, God loves you. Number two, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead with power over sin to give you the gift of eternal life. That's the, the basis of it. It's not, I feel it, I don't feel it. I've often said, sometimes I feel like a nut, sometimes I don't. But that doesn't change anything. It's just I feel so, you know, one way sometime and another way another time. That's not the basis of my standing in Christ. And I, then, then think about this. Salvation gives us the capacity, the potential for holiness. We're dead to sin whether we feel like it or not. We're dead to sin whether we act like it or not. The first thing we have to do is accept what God said. When Jesus entered your heart, he made you dead to sin and alive to righteousness. The problem is that most of us don't allow ourselves to experience that fullness. It's not a lightning bolt. It's not magic or anything like this. It's kind of like getting a fishing license. Probably a lot of you are fishermen. I'm not a particularly good one anyway. If you want to get a fishing license, all you have to do is prove your residence and pay your money, right? Go a whole bunch of places and do that. Now, does having a fishing license automatically make you a fisherman? At least a good fisherman. No, it doesn't, but it gives you the potential to be a good fisherman. Without a license, you're not supposed to fish at all. You may do that, but don't. 
God doesn't approve of that, right? But with the license, you have the right to become the best fisherman in the world. Now, some people become good at it and others don't. Why? Well, it, it's a matter of how seriously they take the privilege of fishing. If you take it seriously, you're going to get good at it. You're going to catch some fish. If you don't take it seriously, you're just going to put a, a line in the water every once in a while and nothing ever happens. And you say, I don't know what's going on. I got a license. I'm not catching any fish. In the same way, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, he gave us a license to have power over sin. He gave us the capacity to become like him. The question is, how seriously are we taking it? You know, how much do we put into it? Step one in defeating sin daily is to understand the meaning of salvation. God made you dead to sin and alive to Christ. He gave you the ability. He's with you. Don't wait for a feeling or to get zapped by a lightning bolt. Just do it. Get out and do it. Now, here's the second thing. How do I defeat sin in my everyday life? It helps to do the math on sin and righteousness. Do the math. Now, when you think about it, sin or doing the wrong thing is really stupid. Honestly, it is. Nothing good can, can come from it. it. It just wreaks havoc in your life and in the lives of the people that are around you. You'll never hear anybody say, the best thing I ever did in my life was when I embezzled for my employer. The best thing I ever did in my life was cheat on my income taxes. And now I just, you know, love being in here with the tax guy. The best thing I ever did in my life was have an affair and cheat on my husband or my wife. The best thing I ever did in my life was experiment with cocaine and on. Nobody says that. Why? Because sin does nothing but destroy and bring chaos in your life. And Paul reminds us that we have a choice, that we can do it or not, and there are consequences that come with our choice. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. It seems that's kind of like by definition, right? Whoever you decide to follow, that's whose slave you are. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, you can do, choose that if you want, but that's where you're going, or to obedience, doing what God wants you to do, which leads to righteousness. You can see, choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and gain his approval and have a better life and hurt a lot less. And then Paul goes on to talk about the consequences of sin. Verse 21, Romans 6, 21. What benefit do you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? What did you get out of it? Now you're ashamed that you did it. Those things result in death. That's the result you get, death, a shame and death. And a couple of verses later in verse 23, the apostle wrote, wrote this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And so in these verses, Paul reminds us of three things about sin. The first one is this, it leads to death. The second one is it leads to shame. And the third is it brings its own punishment. Now, let's look at that a little bit closer. Here's what I'm talking about. Most people have this concept of God that involves him watching us, he's watching us, he's watching us, he's waiting for us to sin, and when he does, bow, who gets us, buddy? <laughs> I was hoping you'd do that. You won't ever do that again, will you? It reminds me of uh, country music. 
Does anybody remember George Jones and Tammy Wynette? You know, they sang a song, others did too, but called God's Gonna Get You For That. Anybody remember that? God's gonna get you for that. God's gonna get you for that. There ain't no place to run and hide because he knows where you're at. God's gonna get you for that. God's gonna get you for that. Every wrong thing that you do, God's gonna get you for that. And by the way, one of the great things about that song is that George and Tammy aren't talking about themselves and all their affairs and their drunkenness and all that stuff. They're talking about the hypocrites down at church, but that's okay. God's gonna get you for that. That's not how it works, folks. That is not how it works. It's not God getting you because you do something wrong. Sin brings its own punishment. The wages of sin is death. Sin has its own wages and they aren't good. So it's not about God getting you. It's what you choose for yourself. Parents know about that. You have a little child and you say, Johnny, don't touch that stove. Because if you touch that stove, it's going to what? going to burn you. And so when you're not looking, Johnny touches the stove. And guess what happens? It burns him. And, and he's crying. And so you say, I told you that was going to happen. You suffer with it. Now go in your room and stay in there and think about what you did. Right? Isn't that what you do? No, of course not. You put your arm around Johnny and you love him and you, you bind up his wound and, and then when he starts to calm down a little bit, you say, you say to him, now do you see why I told you not to touch the stove? I love you, and I don't want you to be hurt. That's the way it works. That's the way it works, you know. Uh, it's the same way with the Heavenly Father. He doesn't set a bunch of arbitrary rules uh, just because he loves to make us stay in line and he loves to whack us around. No, he wants us to avoid sin because it hurts and the best argument for avoiding sin is to do the math on what happens when you sin. Nothing good comes from it. It only leads to misery. On the other hand, Romans 6.22 says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit, there are benefits to choosing God, that you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So, how do I defeat sin in my everyday life? Number one, I have to understand the meaning of salvation. Number two, do the, do the math. Number three, last one, I must choose the master I will obey. Who will I follow? Who, I'm going to obey somebody. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one you obey, you choose whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. You can choose sin, you can choose to obey God. Now, this kind of goes against the American ideal. We like to consider ourselves rugged individualists who serve no one, but that just isn't the case. Paul said that we're slaves to either sin or to righteousness. With every action, you become either more or like Jesus. Now, been talking about songs, we started with Santa Claus is coming to town, right? And then we moved on to God's going to get you for that. Uh, do you remember, most of you, a lot of you aren't old enough to really remember this, but I was alive in the 70s. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan wasn't a country singer, by the way. But Bob Dylan was a, I give it the voice of the generation kind of a singer, right? Uh, and he, 
he sang a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And the verse after verse after verse after verse, he didn't have that great of a, a voice as far as I'm concerned, but everybody liked him. Uh, he describes people, and if you listen through, you're going to find yourself somewhere in one of those verses. Uh, but the chorus says, you got to serve somebody, you got to serve somebody. It may be, the de- may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And he was right about that. may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. So we serve the one whom we obey. We choose who we will serve. The question is, Whose slave do you want to be? Who do you want to be your master? Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you believers in Jesus, you used to be slaves to sin, but you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You realize there's a better way. And you choose on your own to follow the better way. Verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Imagine that, being a slave to doing the right thing. Imagine being so controlled by holiness that you just can't help but do the right thing instead of being so controlled by sin that you can't help but do the wrong thing. Uh, by the way, you see this a lot in movies. You just turn your television on and watch the Christmas Miracle movies right now, but uh, heroes just can't help but do the right thing. But I was just thinking about Star Wars. The original Star Wars movie. The Rebel Alliance is about to attack the Empire's battle station, but Han Solo, pilot of the Millennial Falcon and hero of heroes, decides not to participate because there's no money involved in this. And so he gets on the Millennium Falcon. I think he hits light speed, whatever, and he's gone. He leaves Luke Skywalker to fight the battle without him, but he can't stay away. He returns to join the fight because it's the right thing to do. And being a hero, he just can't help but do the right thing, right? It, that's the way it works. Can't help but do the right thing. And so in a very limited Hollywood sense, he is a slave to do the right thing. That's how God wants us to be, a slave to doing the right thing. He wants you to be so resolutely committed to him that you just can't help it, but you've got to do the right thing. He's your master. And you've chosen to obey him and him alone. So you don't have to be a slave to sin. Sometimes you may feel like you are. And sometimes you'll be like, Paul, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. But don't quit. Don't quit. You can do it. God has promised us, Romans 6, 14, this verse. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. You don't have to be controlled by sin anymore. Imagine, if you will, go back in your minds to when the Atlanta Braves were a good baseball team. Been a long, long time ago. They had a pitcher. His name was Greg Maddox, one of the greatest pitchers ever pitched in professional baseball. By the way, you know where he started his career? It wasn't with Atlanta. It was with the Chicago Cubs. But after some successful years, he got traded to Atlanta. And the 10 or 11 best years of his life and of Atlanta's existence as a baseball franchise, he was their pitcher. And then near the end of his career, he got traded back to the Cubs, or he made it back to the Cubs, right? And, and so imagine that the Cubs are playing the Braves, right? 
And the Atlanta manager, who was Bobby Cox at that time, comes up to Greg Maddox and he says, okay, Greg, here's how I want you to pitch. See, Bobby told him how to pitch, you know, when he was with Atlanta. Here's, here, now that you're with Chicago, here's how I want you to pitch. All fastballs right down the middle about waist high. What would, what would Greg Maddox have said? Sorry, Bobby. You're not the boss of me anymore. You don't tell me what to do anymore. I, 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 have a, I play for a different team now. I have a new manager, a new master that I serve, and I do what he tells me to do. That's the same with you. When you became a Christian, you switched teams. Your loyalties changed. You used to be a slave to sin, but you don't have to do that anymore. Now you can do the right thing. Choose your master who you want to serve. It's either sin or righteousness. It's either the devil or the Lord. The one you obey will be your master. Who do you want to be your master? God set us free from sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and eventually from the presence of sin, but we're not going to be perfect until we all are with him in eternity. Because of God's grace, though, we can live the right kind of life here on this earth. We can win the daily battle. You have the potential, the capacity to do the right thing. You can do it. Every one of you that has trusted Jesus as your Savior can do it. That's what salvation means. You're forgiven. You have a new life. You have a new master. If you continue to serve the old master, it only brings shame and misery and chaos into your life. But your new master offers you freedom and joy and peace and holiness. So choose your master. And I leave you with this thought, who are you going to serve? It's your choice. I didn't say it's easy, but it's simple. It's simple. Who are you going to serve? We're going to close with prayer. Uh, as I pray this morning, um, my heart goes out to the family of uh, George H.W. Bush, 41st president of the United States, who passed away on Friday, uh, 44th vice president, I think, under Ronald Reagan. Uh, truly a good man. Uh, as I read some things about him, uh, he, he agreed, next stop, heaven. And I certainly hope that's the case uh, with him. His last words were to his son, George W., I love you. And what a good way to, what a good three words to go out on, right? But uh, I would like, just like for us to, uh, as I pray this prayer, I'm just going to ask for, you know, not praying for the president, but comfort for his family, and may we move forward in the right direction. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus and eternal life and all the good things you do for us. And give us the grace to want to do something in return, to do the right thing just because it's the right thing and just because it brings honor to you. And as a sidebar, it does good things in our lives and the lives of the people that we love. Our heart goes out to the family of President Bush, asks you that you would comfort and encourage them and use this event in their lives to, to draw them to you and to direct them to you. And there's going to be a lot of public display. And may the best result of that public display be that people turn to you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.